0: if you would to 1 Chronicles chapter 21 which is reckoned to be the historical setting for the psalm and we're not going to read the whole chapter here because we haven't time tonight but it'll just if you want to glance at it um, give a reminder um, as to what was happening in the background so it's one of the sadder incidents in David's life but it does lead on to something positive and good. So um, if we read the first two verses, it will remind you probably of the story. 1 Chronicles 21. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report back to me that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord, the King, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? But the King David overruled Joab and they went out and numbered the people. And um, verse seven says this command was also evil in the sight of God. So he punished Israel. And it was a very interesting way that um, God sent uh, Gad, David's seer, to David and said, you can have three choices, three years of famine, three months of being swept away before your enemies with their swords overtaking you, or three days um, of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then decide how I should answer the one who sent me David's in great distress and just sort of throws himself on the mercy of the Lord um, and the Lord sends a plague uh, via his angel upon the people and um, I'm looking for the number I believe it was 70,000 people that died at that time David of course is distraught he knows he's brought this onto uh, the people because of his disobedience and um, and then the Lord intervenes and says enough to the angel uh, and stops him from destroying Jerusalem. So David then buys the place where the plague was stopped, which is uh, a threshing floor. And there at that place, not only does, um, oh, what's he called, Ara possibly, I don't know. Um, I'm not very good on my pronunciation some days, but not only does he pay for that, he wants a place that he's bought and sacrificed, that where he can sacrifice. But um, interestingly, this leads now to the next part of the story, where at the beginning of chapter 22, David says the house of the Lord God is to be here and also the altar of burnt offering for Israel. And then David starts to repair, of course David won't build the temple, but he starts to make preparations and provisions for his son Solomon to one day build the temple. So that's the background we think of Psalm 30, that's what most uh, people seem to believe. So if you turn back to the Psalms um, and Psalm 30, this Psalm is written with that story in mind and also written, not only did um, David provide iron and the like for, for building the temple, but also um, wrote this psalm with the thought of the dedication of the temple. So this psalm is going to be written by David to be used when the temple is dedicated. And the notes, you might well have them in your Bible as well, will tell you that sometime later when the um temple have been desecrated and it was sort of rededicated to God in 165 BC. This psalm again was used then. And it was also picked up and used and sort of instead of referring to the plague, referring to the exile um, that the people of Israel would go through. So um, we're not going to sort of lean heavily on on the past in the historical setting but um, it's just handy to know that and it'll make sense of one or two of the lines in it. Okay, everyone okay? We're at Psalm 30? Good. Okay, let's read it together. Psalm 30, verse one. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. O Lord, when you favoured me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. So there's some beautiful words, and I love the concluding two verses as David sort of brings this uh, all together. But we'll, we'll just make our way through and and pull out a few things tonight that may be of, of help to us. So um yeah, if you keep the, the word open and um you we'll we'll start back in verse one and um and see what we find. I will exalt you. O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. Now, when we, of course, put this psalm into its historical uh, setting, there was David whose fault alone it was in his pride he given into this temptation to count the the men of of his army to take this census. Um, It all spoke really not of... um, Not of dependence on God, but of pride and of self-ability, of knowing how great he had become. And he was living with the fact that his people were dying. Um, A plague had hit the land uh, and people were dying because of what he had done the depths for David were very real. He must be feeling, I don't know if there was a a particular human who sort of was instrumental in starting COVID being released into our world. I'm, I'm still not quite sure how it all began or who did what, but if there is, can you imagine how they feel today? You know, that's how David would have been feeling as king over his land, knowing he had willfully caused this judgment to fall on his people it's good to remember isn't it the depths from which we have come the lord was so wise when he gave us the communion service the breaking of bread to come and to remember week by week to start our day in remembrance our week in remembrance of what christ has done of who we are without him um and the only hope that we have is because of him he has lifted us out of the depth And and it's good not to dwell on it always, but to remember who we are without him, where we'd have gone without him, what life would have been like without him. We really were horribly lost, horribly lost without Christ. And um, it's good to be able to remember him together, uh, where we were and now who we've become. And David continues, you did not let my enemies gloat over me. So that was one of the possible three punishments that were facing Israel at that time. Three months of being driven uh, out by their enemies and all that would have meant. The Psalms, I don't know if you find them. I I used to find it quite off-putting, actually, the amount of... You can hardly read a psalm, can you? It feels sometimes where there isn't, you know, this is what the enemy's doing. The wicked are there, and we're going to, you know, God's going to strike out against them. David and the the other psalmists were very conflict-minded, very enemy. Minded. Um, We tend not to be so much today, don't we, in in our culture. Um, I don't really tend to refer to many people as being my enemies. Um, As a Liverpool fan, maybe occasionally a Man United supporter might fit into that category um possibly somebody at the tax office on the helpline the other day might have just been you know could have been there um yeah and possibly the person actually wrote the on hold music that you listen to while you're waiting to get through to the tax office um possibly as well also just tinkering around being the enemy sort of status but generally we don't refer to people do we often as enemies um but David did all the time. He was always speaking of the wicked, the enemies, um, uh, even in a, a famous psalm like Psalm 23. Um, the enemy, you know, he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. It's um, it's challenging, though, when we read Ephesians 6 and we hear those words. In fact, I might, like, so I don't misquote them, I'll turn over, um, put on. Put on your full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We do have an enemy, actually. Um, It is good for us to read the Psalms and be reminded of that we we do have a very real enemy who stands against us and we need to be aware of that it's why part of the lord's prayer says to us lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil you know a daily reminder if we we pray that prayer uh, often and regularly that actually we face an enemy every day one who is seeking to trip us up, one who fires fiery darts our way. And and listen, when you're engaged in evangelism there at Great Parks, you are going against an enemy. There is a God of this world who has blinded the hearts of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel of Christ. You, You are facing an enemy when you go and try and win people for Christ. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be looking for the Lord all the time to be delivering us, um, enemy conscious. And I don't mean, you know, some people go the other way a bit too far. And every time they, you know, stub their toe, it's the devil's attacking them. I'm not too sure about that. But I think sometimes some of us float through life without this realization that we are in conflict, that if He can, He will trip us up and He will stop us being effective. I think above anywhere, that has to show up in our prayer lives. Um, We're very good at praying for things. We're sometimes a bit slow at praying against things and against the evil and the darkness that is in this world. Verse two continues, Oh Lord, my God, I called you for help and you healed me. It's great to have a testimony, isn't it? An encouragement of somebody who says that their prayers have been answered that they've called to the Lord and the Lord has answered. I don't know what you do at Great Parks um, at the moment. Um, It's a bit tricky, I know, having audience participation at times when we can't be together, but something I want to do more at Plimstock, actually, I've, I've not been great at it, if I'm honest, is trying to get more stories of people, more testimony of people. It is such an encouragement to the rest of us, isn't it? When somebody stands up and says, I was in this situation, I cried out to the Lord, I prayed, and, and this happened. God intervened. And I, I think sometimes we lack that a little bit. Maybe you're better at it than me, quite possibly at Great Parts. Maybe it's something you do more. I've, I've no idea. But I, I think whether it's in church services or, or whatever, we need to be in the habit of sharing our stories, even if it's one-on-one. Just tell somebody else what God's done for you. Don't be shy. Is such an encouragement. Uh, And it's not for your glory, it's for God's glory. You know, when you turn around and say, I was stuck and God saved me. That's just glorious to him. Verse three, oh Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. You brought me up from the grave, um, which you might have got, it depends on your version, shield, the... um, the hebrew word for grave or for death um sometimes translated hades um it it's used actually of the good and the bad the righteous and the wicked it, it's not talking about hell it's talking about the pathway that people go through to death uh, and the grave and um With David, he's not here referring to as being brought from the grave as somebody who was uh, dead and brought back to life. But it was the Hebrew imagery, if you like, that somebody who was getting that way, um, who was facing death, already knew the sort of the the tangling hode of death on him. Um, He was in real mortal danger and he found deliverance from the Lord, being spared from that hey it's good to live on this side of the resurrection isn't it it's good to really know the reality uh, of resurrection in our lives knowing the risen Christ who has who has handled death for us who has broken its power we're doing, um, for the first time on Zoom at the minute, we're doing Christianity Explored uh, at Plimstock. And um, uh, I've been, in, yeah, it's been good. And um, it's a little bit harder on Zoom in some ways, but um, people seem happy to come uh, and listen in, which is good. And I, was it this week? Yeah, I think it was only this week's episode. Rico Tice, who um, presents it, tells a story of talking some time ago to a friend of his who was in his last days before he died not an old man a uh, young man but who had been um well i don't know what happened he didn't tell the story but the man was dying and rico asked him about it uh, and the guy's answer was something like look i know the resurrection is precious to you but can you imagine what it means to me right now that's good isn't it what a great answer because Christ has risen. He's freed us from death. He's freed us from the the power of it and from the fear of it. We go with confidence because one has gone before and opened the way. Uh, And I just thought that was a, a wonderful answer to give. The resurrection might be precious to you, but imagine what it means to me. In a few days time, he went on to say, I'll be in the presence of God. Uh, uh, that's confidence, and it's because of Christ and what he has done. Verse four says, sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Should just point out this was written pre-government guidance on singing in church. Um, So that's, um, yeah, might have been, um, just need to, to put a little note in your Bibles there. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name so there was a cry to be given to the people as they went up to to the temple to worship and to praise to sing to the lord well we can't sing at the minute can we um in church together as we would like are you having you can you can sign language here johnny are you having live services in the morning at great parks yeah so you are meeting but not singing presumably are you humming under your masks be honest Yeah, some of you, I thought you would be. So yeah, it's really hard not to sing, isn't it? There's something about it. Uh, Communal worship and the words, even the ones we were just hearing a moment ago, you know, people that have been inspired to write and somehow capture our feelings. Uh, and then you join with brothers and sisters who love the Lord. And whether we can sing in tune or not doesn't really matter too much. Certainly doesn't matter too much to some of the people at Plumstock. Uh, it, it just doesn't matter. I, I can't sing in tune either, so it's fine. Um, but we kind of belt it out anyway, because there is this joy, isn't there, in singing and in worshipping together. Um, but at the minute, look, we've we've got... a have a bit of imagination haven't we someone challenged um on friday in a meeting i was in about this that okay we can't sing at the minute but surely if we're worshiping the creator of the universe um we shouldn't stop worshiping just because we can't sing um maybe it's a time that we can use our imagination a bit in how we can still lift up the name of the lord and rejoice so that's just something from friday i've been thinking about um, you know, some people have been, well, if I can't sing in church and got to wear a mask, I don't think I'll bother coming for now. But um, surely we can do better than that. Surely we can sort of think through, well, I can't sing and it is a shame, but there must be more depth to our worship when we're meeting one as glorious and as beautiful as Jesus to to find other ways of of expressing um who he is and uh, and what he has done but there is a beauty in music that god has given us music and there's just something about it isn't there um the words are togetherness to lift our hearts to worship as one and he gives us some reasons for it verse five his anger lasts only a moment but his favor lasts a lifetime and david had just known something of the anger of god which had struck out against him. Such a sad sort of footnote to David's life. One of the last stories of this great king and this great man of faith. But um, he still acknowledges here. Yeah, his his anger is real. Don't be the Christian who pretends that it isn't. God does get angry, but it's for a moment compared to a lifetime of his loving kindness and goodness. So we praise for that. And we praise too that weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Hey, that's the Christian pattern, isn't it? Isn't it? That is the pattern that there are times of sorrow, but there is a definite end to them. And then there is joy in the morning. There is rejoicing in the morning. That's the way we live. There is darkness now sometimes, but there is because we know Christ, the hope of light. It might be Friday now and Christ is on the cross, but Sunday's coming and the tomb is going to be empty. There might be persecution now, but Christ will come and there will be justice. We might live on a sinful earth now, but heaven is to come for all of eternity. We are a people of hope. So be encouraged tonight if you're in a place of darkness and difficulty. Yeah, we do weep at night sometimes, but joy comes in the morning. This is our hope that the world doesn't have. C.S. Lewis said something like, for the non-believer, this world is as good as it will ever be, as good as things will ever be. For the Christian, This world is as bad as things will ever be. Yeah, sometimes it can be dark at night for us now, but we look forward to light. We look forward to joy. We look forward to Christ and to being with him and i know sometimes nights can feel a bit dark um if you wake up in the night and you're not well or something or something is wrong it can feel like a long time till dawn in fact if i'm honest i'm wondering if i'm in for that sort of night because i had my covid jab about four hours ago so i don't know if my arm's just starting to hurt i have got a condition that means i'm a bit more susceptible to illness and pain um i'm a man so um it could be that, um, yeah, I'm in for one of those long nights and I'm going to be hanging on for the morning, seeing if I can make it through. Of course, I might not even know I've had the thing, which I'm really hoping for. But um, who knows? We'll find out later on. <laughs> um, just be thankful I'm not speaking at your Monday night meetings. I might not be um, <laughs> as wide awake by then. But, um, yeah, that's a reality, though, isn't it? Sometimes nights can seem long and dark, but there is joy in the morning. We're on this pathway of hope that nothing can change. And then we're back to the story of Chronicles once again. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. So there was King David now with the land um, mostly taken. uh, The peace that he had wanted had come. He was king of uh, the great nation Israel. And he was feeling secure. And it was in that where he made his mistake. Pride comes before a fall. Uh, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Look, whatever our situation and wherever we're at in our lives, whether we're on a high or a low with our circumstances, we always need to depend on God. My my favorite word at the minute is rooted. That's what I've been thinking about at our own church the last couple of weeks, what it means to be rooted in Christ. To have, you know, as I plant that depth of connection uh, and from that to draw our joy and our peace, as I've just been thinking about in Philippians um, at the minute. But I, I like that word. I've just been thinking about what it means to be rooted in Christ, to to have that depth of connection with him. And we need that. Maturity for the Christian is not getting to a place where we can stand on our own two feet without the Lord. Maturity for the Christian is where we go deeper into him and more dependent upon him. I'm grateful for a paragraph I read years and years ago by Andrew Murray on a little pamphlet um, called Humility. And it was the first time I really dawned on me and understood what humility is in the Bible, not false humility saying we're not good at things we are or something, but real humility as Murray described it as being a moment by moment dependence on God, that continual awareness that we need him every moment, every hour that we can't stand without him, that whoever we are, even if we're King David and have a million fighting men, we still need God. And if, if his favour goes, oh, Lord, when you favoured me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. It can all be gone in a moment with God, can't it? It can all be taken away. Uh, and so we understand as believers that we continually need to be resting upon him. And drawing from him. I, I get this reminder most weeks, if I'm honest. I have the privilege of preaching for, um, you know, week by week, really, in the job that I do. And um, so it does mean that week by week, I look at a blank sheet of paper. Um, I sit down with Psalm 30 or whatever it might be, and I I have that continual reminder, if God doesn't come through for me and give me some sort of inspiration, I'm still going to have a blank sheet of paper on Sunday morning. That's the reality of it, of being ever able to be fruitful in any way with preaching something effectively. I, I need this dependence on God week by week and day by day. And I like the fact that I always have a blank sheet of paper because it reminds me that I need him for every sermon and every thought that goes into it. But it's not just true of sermons or whatever our sphere of service may be, of course. It's true for life that we live with a blank sheet of paper that we we need him for, for every word and for every thought to be effective and fruitful and useful. If he hid his face, we'd be dismayed, wouldn't we? Unable to do anything worthwhile. Uh, Verse 8 then says, To you, O Lord, I called, to the Lord I cried for mercy. And then there is this sort of sense now of I love David's confidence here that he almost does a deal with God. He starts to negotiate with God. What gain is there in my destruction? in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O oh Lord, and be merciful to me. O oh Lord, be my help. So David hits this place where he, he sort of comes back to God with tremendous confidence and says, look, if, if you kill me, I, I can't speak for you and I can't praise you. The inference being, if you let me live, I will. If you bring me through this, then my tongue's yours i I will praise you for it. I will proclaim your faithfulness I'll tell others about you and i I have a friend um who I met who was uh with the army or with the navy and was with um Chapel for a while. And one night he gave a, a testimony at one of our men's events. And his thing when he wasn't um, being a, a Navy chaplain was he was a rock climber. And his story of coming to faith, he knew a bit about God, not maybe too much, but he went climbing with a friend abroad somewhere. And one day they were a bit um, not as careful as they should have been and set off late in the day. And they got themselves into difficulties because they neared the top of this cliff face. And then, well, they actually made it and started to climb back down when the the light faded, the sun set and they were stuck on this cliff at night and people didn't know they were up there. Um, they could hardly see their hand in front of their face by the end. And it was during that time that Russell said to God, God, if you get me out of this alive, I'm yours. I'll I'll trust in you. I'll become a Christian. I'll follow you. And he did. He went on, as I said, to become a, a naval chaplain and to, um, he's been a minister as well in the past. But it was on that cliff face that he did his negotiating with God, that he made this deal that, look, if, if you get me out of this, you can have my tongue. Um, I'll speak for you. I'll, I'll live for you. It reminded me again of CT Studd in his famous... Um, quote that said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, there's no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. It's that response that says, look, Lord, if you've done this, or if you bring me through this, or if you've given for me, then I will respond by giving back to you. There's no sacrifice too great. Or as Isaac Watts puts it, where the whole realm of nature mine. That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. And I think it's that kind of thought in David's mind. Look, Lord, if you give me my life back, if you take away this plague, if you spare me, then I'll react to you by giving you my tongue. I'll speak for you. I'll proclaim your name and I'll praise you for what you've done. And I wonder if we're in that place, if we live in that place, when we look at what Christ has done and decide, okay, Lord, if you gave yourself for me, then I'll give myself for you. Uh, You can have my tongue. I'll proclaim for you. I'll witness for you. Uh, I'll share the stories of what you do for me. And I'll praise your name. Uh, I'll sing when I'm not in church, if I can't sing in church. Uh, I'll lift your name on on high, And then, um, of course, verse 10 reminds us, hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. When someone does these deals with God, it's not 50-50. <laughs> it still relies completely on the mercy and the grace of God to bring us through. And then it comes to this lovely ending in the Psalm, verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Um, this afternoon I took the kids for a, and the dog for a walk up in the field and um, Elizabeth, my seven-year-old, tripped over and I twisted her ankle and I did that dad thing, you know, when you, you, it's probably nothing, isn't it? She'll probably walk it off, but when mum's not there you don't want to be the dad that makes them walk home on a you know fractured ankle or something and that's always going i know what i should be concerned about is how my daughter's feeling but i'm sure as um, any dads here will probably attest that they're actually more concerned about the reaction of mum if they get it wrong is that yeah you've been there yeah so um so i was thinking about that elizabeth was sort of wailing a bit and um hobbling along you know and then she saw this little cute dog that was up in the field and ran off to play it catch it so i thought there we go again that was quickly wailing turned into um into activity and um once again i've fallen for it hey but this is the reality of david isn't it that i was you turned my wailing into dancing but Johnny, you said it to me or in your prayer at the beginning about um, taking you out of your comfort zone. So I'm really tempted now to say, should we have a dance at Great Parks for a little while? Um, It's here, you want to go out of your comfort zone and it's here in God's word. So I think that would make excellent Zoom um, footage for us to film. But um, maybe you are not didn't quite mean that when you said out of your comfort zone during your prayer. You've got to be careful what you pray for, you say. You never know what will happen. But look, this is the reality of David's testimony. His wailing was turned into dancing. His utter, utter depression and horror of what had happened, of his guilt, his shame and its consequences by the grace of God has been turned into celebration. That's the kind of garb we have, isn't it? You removed my sackcloth. And for David, that was literal. Um, We didn't read the verse, but in 1 Chronicles 21, they they clothed themselves in sackcloth. They were in real mourning for themselves and for their nation. And that had been, uh, and we get this lovely phrase, you removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Isn't that beautiful? The idea of getting dressed with joy. Having that sense of being covered with joy because of what Christ has done. I mentioned that we're we're in the book of Philippians at the moment at Plimstock, and I'm loving it. Anyway, it's um it, it's been a real encouragement to my heart to read Paul's letter and um the series. I've called it Joy for the Journey, because that's what it is, the journey that we're on towards Christ, towards the the end of our our time when we will meet him Uh, and Paul as he writes is just again and again just gushing with joy and despite his circumstances and those famous verses are there rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice hey guys we're called to be clothed with joy because of what Christ has done for that to be a mark of us I, I let me just as I finish off read A little paragraph to you. As Christians, we deal with serious issues and sometimes painful circumstances. We labor intensely and can go years without seeing significant results. We may be abused or mocked for our faith. Sometimes we see no answer to our prayers. We have high standards that we don't always live up to. Our hearts are heavy for those around us that don't know the Lord. People around us may be sad, angry, depressed, or experiencing other negative emotions. We ourselves may be poor, ill, hated, tempted, or otherwise burdened. Therefore, at times, we may need a reminder that we are a people of unstoppable, unquenchable, unbridled joy, who, because of Christ, find stopping smiling a real challenge. I hope that's us. I hope you know what it means to be clothed with joy because we have this savior who has given himself to grab us out of the depth and to put us on the solid rock, to remove the sackcloth of mourning and grief from us and to clothe us in joy. That my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O oh Lord, my God. I will give you thanks forever. I hope tonight, great parts, your hearts are thankful and filled with joy that you are rooted in Christ and enjoying him day by day for what he's done for us, for what he's given to us, for all that he's going to bring into, and just for the sheer unbridled joy of knowing him, of being near him, of being around Jesus. It should lift our hearts to real joy. And I hope this week you know something of the experience of being clothed in joy as you make your way through whatever the coming week has for you. So thank you for listening. It's a thank you for um, causing me to think about that beautiful little psalm. And I pray if you read it again a few times this week, it will encourage your heart. Amen. Johnny, back to you. Thanks,
1: Mark. Much appreciated yeah I won't I won't show you my dancing I don't think anyone wants to say that that's just uh, between my wife and my children probably and we do dance on a regular basis in the kitchen but more like more like to the ho- hokey pokey and things like that so <laughs> but um thanks for tonight much appreciated and a really really good reminder about you know our joy in the lord and everything everything that like, that goes with that so thank you and very much appreciated let's let's close in prayer Lord, we thank you for this this psalm. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of it and um, the encouragement of it, Lord. That we have joy in you, and you are the the real giver of joy. Um, and thank you, Lord, that as we go through life, that there are times of sorrow, um, but there is the, the day. The day will come um, when. Will be with you forever, and what a glorious and amazing day that will be as a Christian that we have to look forward to—a day where we we worship you and be in your presence. Um, But thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us every every step of the way, Um, and just pray you'll continue to help us through the coming days and weeks. Um, But thank you, Lord Jesus, that yes, again, that our joy is in you because you are a, a savior who has has conquered death. You didn't stay in that grave, but you rose again. And what a glorious day it will be when we stand in your presence, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, again for this evening. And just pray you'll be with us and to meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again, Mark. Um, You can unmute yourselves if you want to and say bye, if you like. but remember, um, don't forget to have a look at Faith Life. Um and booking again, remember, uh is Tuesday from nine thirty. Booking for Great Parks next Sunday. Mm. Mm. Okay. Good to, good to see you all. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. Thank good you. Mark. Thank, you. Bye. 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 thank you, Mark. Bye. Bye, <sighs> bye, bye. bye. <laughs>